have rather carried them. Alcora and B contributor and member center in analysis of Mexican criminal markets and financial assets. Here to discuss the criminal groups involved in Guerrero's illicit mining industry. How important is Guerrero's mining industry to organized crime groups? Well, I would say that in the case of, in the particular case of Mexico, this uh, question should be uh, answered in in a, in a in a specific level, and by this mean I mean that it it is it is definitely becoming more and more important uh, as time goes by. If we analyze, for example, the structure of Mexican organized crime back in the in the 1980s or in the 1990s, when Mexican criminal groups started becoming more and more involved in the international arena. We can see uh, how at that time uh, they were just mere uh, regional or even uh, local based groups that uh, were involved merely uh, in the manufacturing and exporting of polydrug businesses. Uh, they deal in heroin, they deal in great quantities of marijuana, they deal of course in cocaine and a bit in methamphetamine, which then increasingly uh, increased in the case of, methamine, uh, of meth a lot uh, during, the 90, during the, the late 90s. Uh, but as time went by in Mexico, Mexican criminal groups evolved from this initial point of view where we could say groups dealing in, in great uh, in, in drugs in a, in a great deal, they've evolved and they engage uh, in certain uh, predatory strategies. And by predatory, I mean uh, to extract rents from local and regional uh, businesses. Thus, uh, increasingly smaller groups, such as, for example, in the case of Michoacán, La Familia Michoacana, or in the case of uh, Guerrero, the splinter groups of the, of the later, uh, for example, Los Rojos, Guerreros Unidos, more recently La Bandera, uh, in the case, for example, of Coahuila, Los Zetas, they engage in the predation of local resources uh, from the most normal, for example, convenience store that we can find in, in any of our streets to more uh, complex and bigger businesses, such as mining. Uh, in the case of mining, uh, Mexico uh, has a lot of wealth, uh, and I mean a lot of mineral wealth. For example, in the case of iron ore, Mexico probably is, is located between the, the 20 bigger producers in, of iron ore mineral at a global basis. In the case of, for example, uh, gold, uh, Mexico is the eighth gold producer. And of course, and this didn't uh, go unnoticed for Mexican criminal groups. And they saw, and they starting to see in the mining sector, a very uh, valuable source of uh, regular income. So by the early 2000s, we could see, for example, in Michoacán, how certain groups start extorting local mining conglomerates. And as time has gone by, for example, more recently, uh, since the 2010s, uh, we have seen a lot of these groups get directly involved in the extraction uh, of, uh, of different kind of minerals in, in Mexico. So definitely uh, I wouldn't dare to uh, give a certain amount. For example, I wouldn't say that most of CJNGs or most of the Familia Michoacana uh, portfolio is comprised by what they extract from the mining industry. But I would say that in the case of certain groups, uh, paradoxically, for example, CJNG being one of them, uh, the extortion of the mining business sector definitely poses a great deal in their sources uh, of, of revenue. You already mentioned extortion, but what other methods are criminal groups using to profit? Are we seeing theft or are they taking more of an active role in the mining process? And if so, what is being mined and sold? 
Well, that, that is a very good question because, in fact, it started as extortion industry. And by extortion, I mean extorting both the mining companies and also the workers. For example, in the case of Michoacán, in the town of, uh, of Aquila, we know that the, initially the Knights Templars uh, started not only the Ternium Mining Corporation, but also the what we call here ejidatarios. And this means the people who are, uh, in fact, the owners of the land that uh, rent the land to the mining corporations in order to allow them to operate uh, locally. That is how it started. But across the years, Mexican criminal groups' uh, strategies regarding uh, the mining sector do have uh, evolved. Uh, in my opinion, there are four main types of uh, techniques that Mexican uh, criminal groups do use in order to extract uh, wealth from the mining sector. The first one, as you have pointed out, is extorting both the the, mine and the owners of the land and mainly the, the big mining corporations. The second one would be a very mafia-type strategy uh, which is centered in offering uh, protection rackets. By this I mean uh, offering, for example, uh, the mining corporations uh, certain types of machinery. The bulldozers, what we call here camiones gondola or um, trucks used by the companies to transport the, the minerals being extracted from the from the mines. This kind of heavy machinery is offered to the mining corporations by companies linked or controlled by criminal groups. A third one would be to directly uh, steal steal, for example, big quantities of, uh, of minerals. This one has been reported happening in the states of Colima, Jalisco and Michoacán. In the case of Guerrero, it is not uh, so easy to say because, for example, Guerrero is mainly centered all, uh, in the production of silver and gold. And it is not so easy to sell in, the, in an open market a very big amount of gold or of silver, while it is much easier to, for example, send, uh, sell in China or even in, in the Middle East a great amount of, for example, iron ore or zinc. Why? Because the control of the markets of gold and silver of precious metals uh, is much tighter than in the case of other kind of minerals like, for example, zinc or um, copper and even lead or in the case of Michigan, for example, iron ore, which are not so controlled because the price of the material is not, uh, is not as high as in the case of gold and, and silver. And the fourth technique would be to operate and uh, to manage directly their own their own mining businesses and this means to own or at least to to control a, a certain area of territory big enough to operate in their own uh, mines there are reports of these kind of narco mines being controlled directly by organized crime but i wouldn't dare to say that this uh, happens on a big scale for example in the case of coahuila which uh, by 2012 was called a zeta state a zeta control the state. It is true that state in the state of Coahuila by 2012-2013 we could say that for example Zeta cells linked to Zeta 42 and Zeta 43 the, the Trevino Morales brothers uh, and, evils, uh, and even by, by Heriberto Lazcano himself El Verdugo, the head, the, at that time the head of Los Zetas, they were in direct control of certain, for example, coal mines but these were smaller, sm uh, very small businesses uh, operated by local uh, people who who uh, used almost very backward extraction methods. In the case of bigger mines, for example, uh, copper, zinc, iron ore, uh, silver, lead, or even gold mines, I would say that uh, Mexican organized crime doesn't uh, control uh, these mines directly, but uses these three other types of extortion techniques, direct extortion,
portions. This means Jing, a certain amount of Mexican pesos per each ton being extracted from the mine to impose certain business conditions in order to rent machinery directly from people or companies controlled by organized crime. And uh, mainly, and this is, in my opinion, the most interesting uh, technique, stealing uh, enormous amounts of minerals being obtained from the mine in order to sell them in the in the black market. Those four strategies, I would say, are the techniques you see used by, by organized crime in this field. When did criminal groups begin exploring these mines? Is this a recent development or do they have a long history of this activity? To answer this question, I think we have to understand how things evolved in the mining sector in Mexico. Mexico, as I have said, has a great amount of mineral resources. And traditionally, after the Mexican Revolution, these resources were expanded, I would say, to the people. You see, for example, the Spanish conquistadores and then the almost colonial regimes that came after the independence of Mexico in the 19th century had traditionally managed these resources in, in, a, in a very particular way, very big uh, mines with a lot of people working in them and a few owners. After the revolution and post-revolutionary Mexican governments uh, in their so-called Reforma Agraria or Agrarian Revolution, they parceled the, the earth and distributed them uh, among peasants, uh, what we call ejidatarios. So, for example, in the, in the state of Michoacán, an enormous part of uh, its uh, surface was owned, at least nominally, by the ejidatarios, local peasants. Uh, as time went by, different kinds of Mexican governments started deregulation and they're deregulating the, the economy. Traditionally, uh, Mexico's economy has been managed in a very nationalistic way, uh, with the government controlling most of the resources and applying them to the population. For example, Lázaro Cárdenas, or perhaps one of the famous post-revolutionary Mexican presidents, only gave to private hands, for example, 20 hectares of land during his tenure. Gustavo Díaz Ordaz only gave nearly 300. José López Portillo, 704. Miguel de la Madrid, 1,012. Salinas de Gortari, 7,054. This, um, as, can, as we can see, as time went by, uh, each uh, Mexican president, uh, through his, uh, through their governments, and gave increasingly more and more land to uh, private hands in order to exploit them through, for example, the renting of uh, land to private corporations. In the case, for example, of Vicente Fox, he gave, uh, all, he privatized almost nearly 400,000 hectares of land. Felipe Calderón, nearly 1 million. We are talking about 897 thousand hectares of land being privatized. Enrique Peña Nieto by 2017 had already privatized nearly thousand hectares of, of land. So it is through this kind of privatization of the mining sector that criminal groups started getting involved in, in, the, in the extortion of the mining sector. I would say, for example, in the case of Michoacán, perhaps the most known example of, of a state being permeated both by the privatization of the mining sector and the, and the organized crime, I would say that this process began uh, in the transition between the 20th and the 21st century. I would say that by 2003-2004, the back then fam original Familia Michacana, led by El Chayo, by El Mas Loco, Nazario Moreno, was already starting uh, some of the big companies operating in the states of Michoacán and Guerrero. I, have, I do not have proof of this. Uh, I am citing, for example, the work of a very good Mexican journalist and writer, uh, Jesús 
Jesús Lemus. Jesús Lemus, who was even accused by Felipe Calderón of being a member of the Familia Mexicana and who was jailed and after that exonerated of that uh, charges. And Jesús Lemus states that by the early 2000s, the Familia Michacana was already charging quotas, extortion quotas, extortion fees to the big mining corporations operating in Michoacán. So I would say that by the early 2000s, certain local or regional-based Mexican groups were already involved in the, in the extortion of the mining sector. You already mentioned some groups, but I want to go a little deeper on what other criminal organizations are involved. Additionally, has anybody outside these organizations taken part of the legal mining industry, such as corrupt officials? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. You see, in order to understand this, we have to think uh, about the Mexican criminal groups in, a, in, a bro in broader terms. Uh, most of the times when people or media talk about Mexican organized crime, they only refer to the big criminal conglomerates, for example, the Sinaloa Federation, the Cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generación, uh, etc. Nevertheless, they do not talk about smaller groups, uh, groups that are uh, operating from local areas or, in, or even at all basis that do all also uh, have a great deal of responsibility uh, in Mexico's current tragedy. So I would say that most of the extortion of the mining sector is being conducted by these smaller or medium-sized criminal organizations. For example, a lot of things have been said about Los Zetas. I have never thought of Los Zetas as a monolithic entity. It is true that they were controlled by a hardcore group, some of whose members were former special uh, special forces operators. Nevertheless, for example, uh, Los Zetas, in the case of Coahuila, which, as, as I have said, they were uh, heavily involved in the uh, in the managing of certain uh, coal uh, mines there in the state of Coahuila. So we have, in the, on the one hand, Los Zetas. Uh, nevertheless, Los Zetas, I don't think that they even control any kind of uh, of the mining sector area at a national level. For example, another good example regarding the extortion of mining industries is Guerreros Unidos. Guerreros Unidos, which now called La Bandera, was a northern Guerrero-based criminal organization which ran extensive uh, extortion rackets to the mines uh, operating in the northern state of Guerrero. Guerreros Unidos uh, became very known in 2014 when they kidnapped and butchered with the uh, complicity of the armed uh, forces there, uh, 43 students of the Escuela Normal Rural de, de Ayotzinapa, the uh, so-called Ayotzinapa uh, 43. We, another group very known for the extortion of the mining industry is La Familia Michacana. La Familia Michacana, which originated in the state of Michoacán and then expanded to almost half of Mexico uh, in, the, in the early 2000s. And one of the main groups respons uh, responsible for Felipe Calderón declaring the war on drugs in Mexico in 2000. La Familia Machacana, as I have said, started charging quotas to uh, mining companies in Michoacán by 2003-2004. La Familia Machacana then, between 2010 and 2011, evolved into what had been known since then as Los Caballeros Templarios, the Night Templars. Uh, the Night Templars also got um, very, very involved in the extraction of, of iron ore in the states of Michoacán, Guerrero and Colima. Then we have what is formally known as the Nueva Familia Michacana, a criminal group which comes from the original Familia Michacana of, of Nazario, which is operated now, which is managed by the so-called Hurtado Las Caga Brothers, El Fresa and, and El Pez. In the case of the, the Nueva Familia Michacana, they operate in, in the states of Mexico, in the Estado de Mexico, 
in the in certain parts of uh, Guerrero, and that mainly uh, they have the main operational base in the town of Arcelia, where one of the most one of the biggest gold mines of the state of Guerrero is located, and they also operate in certain states of of, of Michoacán. This Nueva Familia Michoacana, we certainly know that they do control the mine of Arcelia, the so-called Campo Murado mine, which is one of the biggest, biggest gold and silver mines of the of Mexico, of the country. And finally, but not for this less importantly, we would say that in the case of CJNG, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación, they do control a lot of the mining being conducted both in the states of Colima and Jalisco. In the case of, of Colima, we have one of the biggest iron ore mining mining open pits uh, mines, in the, for example, the, the mine of Minatitlan, which is operated and managed by the Ternium Corporation. Uh, Ternium is one of the of the world's biggest mining corporations, and they do control the mine of Minatitlan in Colima. And we know that in this case, for example, CJNG, at least by as, as early as by 2013, this would co uh, coincide in time with the dates where of the birth of the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación as an independent criminal group. By 2013, the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación was already stealing nearly 3,200 tons, metric tons, of iron ore per day from the Minatitlan mining complex. So I would say that this kind of groups, Los Zetas and their remnants, because Los Zetas still operate in Coahuila, although not, uh, not very publicly, the original Nueva Familia Micho Michoacana and their splinter cells of los Caballeros Templarios and the Nueva Familia Michoacana and, and the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación are probably the four more most famous groups uh, known for managing of the illegal mining sector. There are other groups, though. For example, we know that in Sonora, there are also a lot of complaints of the mining companies operating there being extorted by, or by organized crime. The mine of La Herradura, for example. Nevertheless, we still are not, we do not have enough data to report about certain groups conducting illegal mining operations there. I would say that definitely the, probably the most interesting examples are the ones of the organized is operating in the states of Michoacán, Jalisco, Guerrero, and Colima. This is the Nueva Familia Michoacana, the remnants of the Knight Templars, the Cartel Unidos, very probably, and uh, mainly the Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación. Uh, regarding your question of local authorities being involved in the sector, without doubt, it is impossible to operate such a big, a big business in the in the states of Guerrero and Michoacán without having any kind of contact with local authority. Mining uh, licenses in Mexico as, and, in, and in any other world in the world are granted by, by local authorities, are granted either by federal government and are managed by regional government. This means that uh, the order to give this or that part of the land of Michoacán in order to extract iron ore from there is given by the authorities in Mexico City. And the uh, negotiations regarding the hiring of labor force are conducted, for example, with the local government or the regional, the state government. So uh, we couldn't say that any kind of business activity could be conducted in the and by business activity I mean legal and illegal without any having any kind of contact uh, with with this kind of activities and uh, in the recent case of the Wakamaya leagues we can say uh, and because it has been published and we have republished it in, in Borderland Beat that 
at the at least the federal government knew that uh, certain government officials at the regional level, for example, in the case of the governor, uh, the governor of, of Guerrero, were highly involved and knew not only that organized crime was starting certain mining companies, but even negotiated with these companies through intermediators in order to achieve, for example, contracts. We know that the governor of the state of Guerrero back in 2019 sent some, sent even his son who conducted an interview in the city of Acapulco with financial operators sent by the Hurtado brothers, the bosses of the Nueva Familia Michacana, in order to negotiate the share in the extortion of the Campo Morado mining complex. It has been published by the military intelligence investigations conducted internally by the armed forces of Mexico and filtered and, and made public by these hackers integrated in the Guacamaya Leaks group. So I would say that regarding the involvement of local authorities, regional authorities, and with the knowledge of uh, federal authorities, they all are involved in the in the sector. What's the motive behind this criminal group's connection to legitimate businesses? Well, another good question. In the case of legitimate businesses, they are legitimate businesses, legitimate companies are used by uh, organized crime anywhere in the world in order to launder money. It is very difficult for, for a criminal operator, for a, for a criminal individual to use his or her assets publicly. So the only way to not uh, having his or her assets seized, frozen, is to use uh, intermediators. And this is where the figure or the operador financiero, the financial operator, this is a money launderer, came into, into the scene. Legitimate sector, for example, in the, in the case of uh, banks, uh, is used in Mexico extensively. Uh, in fact, the amount of wealth generated by organized crime in Mexico has, has increased so much and has become so great that there are certain concerns, and these concerns are not made public by authorities, there are certain concerns that if blocked, if, uh, if a good strategy of a financial fight against the organized crime was conducted in Mexico, this would, this would affect not only organized crime, but the effect, the wealth generated by organized crime would be so high, would be so much, uh, would be so deep that this effect would end up uh, having a parallel effect in the in the legal economy. And by this mean, uh, this I mean that uh, in Mexico, the legal, the, the strictly legal sector, legal businesses, casinos, restaurants, hotels, car dealerships have been used so extensively by organized crime that in certain parts of the country, and by this, for example, I mean the urban zone of Guadalajara, certain parts of Acapulco, certain parts of, for example, Mexicali, even certain parts of Monterrey, the biggest, the second biggest city in Mexico, and one of the richest capitals in the whole of Latin America, in those parts of the country, uh, the penetration, the financial penetration of uh, organized crime has been so, so, so deep, has been so great that if the wealth of the of organized crime there would be uh, frozen by an effective um, counter-criminal strategy, these businesses would have to close them. Why? Because uh, they have been so much penetrated by organized crime that they are the same. They are the, the other side of the coin. Most of the times when we hear about uh, Mexico, we hear about the deaths. We have about the, the disappearances, the desaparecidos. We hear about the kidnappings, the extortions, etc. But we do not hear about, for example, the incredible amount of wealth being laundered through certain types of banks like the VVVA, like Banamex, in, for example, the biggest 
Forest and the most richest uh, towns uh, in Mexico. We do not hear about the, for example, in the football sector being used in Sinaloa or in Jalisco to launder money of uh, drug trafficking organizations. We do not hear about, for example, the incredible casinos and hotels being built, for example, in Morelos. We do not hear about the incredible sector of real estate in, for example, in the city of Tijuana, which is controlled deeply and entirely by organized crime. And in the case of mining, I would say that it is uh, the same story. For example, we know that in Acapulco, a lot of com Mexican companies do receive money, money that comes from the extortion of the mining sector, and uh, do use that money to operate just uh, front businesses, to operate businesses that do not have any kind of real activity, but that do generate some kind of revenue. Who are the owners of these businesses? Well, uh, for example, in the case of the Urta Alaska Brothers, financial operators that have worked even for the early uh, Caballeros Templarios. We know that a woman who is the sister of a, of a former uh, Templario leader, which is now in, in jail, and who uh, was also the, the sister of a very uh, known uh, Guerrero town major who was murdered a few years ago, uh, still is working for the Alaska Brothers as owner of some of the companies that do have businesses with, for example, the mine of Campo Morado, uh, and we support that they do use these kind of companies in order to funnel to funnel money uh, obtained from the from the extortion of the mining sector. So uh, I would say that and this is one of the of the of the main uh, characteristics of the legal sector. And the other side of the coin, also of the legal sector, is comprised by the uh, the role that uh, international mining corporations do play here in the mining in the mining sector. The mining sector in Mexico is not operated by cartels directly. As I have said, the mining sector is operated by multinational companies. Multinationals such as ArcelorMittal, multinationals like Ternium Corporation, multinationals such as, for example, Altalei, which is the Canadian the Canadian mining company operating the mine of Campo Morado, uh, which directly deals with the Nueva Familia Michoacana still at present day. These uh, mining corporations do not see, for example, uh, organized criminal groups as a threat. They do not see it as a danger to its operations in, in Mexico. International mining companies and uh, do see Mexican organized crime as a cost, a natural cost, a fixed cost that do they do have uh, to to deal with. They see it as as the natural consequence of being uh, operating in a place such as Mexico, where insecurity is regarded as a normal thing, a thing that can be managed and and that can be addressed uh, efficiently. So when we, for example, say that Altalei, the company running the Campo Morado gold mine, which directly deals with the Hurtado Las Caga brothers, they provide them with workforce and heavy machinery, and they do pay a fixed amount of money to the Nueva Familia Michoacana per month, Altalei, which uh, is a Canadian mining company, does see the Nueva Familia Michoacana not as a threat, not as a danger to its operations in the area, but, but as a natural actor, a normal actor, with which they must do deals in order to achieve their corporate goals, which of course are related to the obtention of wealth. And in order to obtain wealth, if they do have to deal with the um, people responsible for Mexico's, for Mexico's current tragedy, they will do so. If they do have to deal with people in charge of extorting not only them, but local mining towns, if they do have to operate and uh, do deals 
with people responsible for the murdering of thousands of people, they will do so. It has happened in El Congo, it has happened in Burma, it has happened in Angola, and it also happens, of course, in, in, in Mexico. Mexico is not an, an exception to that. So in the case of the legal sector, the mining corporates, especially the Canadian ones, are responsible for, for what is happening also in Mexico. Is it even possible for new mining companies to establish themselves in the state? without cooperating with armed groups when they seem to have such a stranglehold over the industry? Uh, no, no, no. It is, it, is not, it is not feasible, it is not possible to start operations in certain parts of the country without entering in deals with, with organized crime. When we talk about organized crime in Mexico, we talk about uh, organizations that do not operate from bunkers or from... Uh, from, for example, like the Ndrangheta in, in Italy. They do not operate hiding under uh, four uh, closed walls like the bosses of the Cosa Nostra in Sicily. They do operate in the, in the field and they do control and their main uh, power base is based in the uh, control of territory. So when uh, anyone wants to open a business, either legal or illegal, they do have to enter into deals or into negotiations with organized crime. So uh, if, for example, I am a normal entrepreneur and I want to open, for example, a restaurant in, for example, let's say in Arcelia, in Guerrero, I will have to talk with the local or the, at least with a delegation sent by the by the local plaza boss of the Nafamia Chacana, and I will have to deal a certain amount of money being paid to them on a monthly basis. If I am, for example, politician who wants to run for mayor, if I want to conduct my campaign in a certain municipality, I will have to deal with local uh, organized uh, criminal figures in order to uh, arrange a certain, a certain type of agreement, in order to reach an agreement. If I come to power, I will and give you this, that, or those, or at least I will make one of your members the head of the municipal police. I will give you all these, all the contracts being granted by the town hall in order to build new schools, and you will give me money or you will give me votes in order to make me the new mayor. And in the case of the mining sector, it is, it is um, the, the same logic is a place uh, is is applied. It is impossible, for example, for Altalei to operate the Campo Morado mine, which they bought three or four years ago. I think in Altalei. Altalei was uh, previously called Telson Mining Corporation. And Telson Mining Corporation bought uh, from a local businesswoman the mine of the Campo Morado gold mine in, I think, I remember in September 2017, maybe. When they bought, when this Canadian company Telson Mining, now called Altalei, bought the Campo Morado mine from that local uh, businesswoman, uh, they knew what they were uh, entering in. They knew that in order to operate the Campo Morado mine, they would have to speak with, at that time, the early family, Nueva Familia Michacana and establish an agreement. And this same logic, as I have said, can be applied to the mining corporations operating in Jalisco, in Michacán, in Colima, in Guerrero, in Coahuila, etc. It is a business, and as I have said, normal corporations do see organized crime as, as, as another and normal cost with which they have to, to deal with. So it is impossible to enter into such a business, into to such a wealthy and powerful business such as the mining sector without uh, having to reach an agreement with the criminal group controlling the, the area uh, often where the mining extraction, where the mining operations do take place. What have security forces done to combat these mining operations? 
it is not possible to to say that, for example, the armed forces which uh, at, in this kind of states such as Michoacán, Guerrero, do conduct most of the of serious and important operations against organized crime. It is not possible to say that armed forces have done nothing. They have done. It is also important to state that in the case of the Sedena and the Semar, the Secretaría de la Defensa Nacional and the Secretaría de Marina, the, the Armed Forces of Mexico, this is, they do not operate as monolithic entities. They operate from bases, from military bases, uh, which are placed in certain parts of the country. And some of these bases, some of which are called, for example, uh, military zones, some of these uh, military zones and some of the generals and high-ranking members of the Mexican Armed Forces managing these military zones do have been uh, controlled or do have uh, come under the great joke of organized crime. In the state, of, for example, of Guerrero, it is known that uh, the Hurtado de las Coaga brothers, the, the two capos leading the, the Nueva Familia Michacana, as early as by 2012-2013, they were already paying nearly half a million pesos monthly to some high-ranking members of, the, of, a, of a military base in the, near the town of Arcelia in order to obtain not only intelligence, but also to be noti notified in advance of, for example, military operations being conducted in, in the area. In the state of Michoacán, where the most of the iron ore production takes place in Mexico, I would say that the work of the armed forces has been maybe a bit, and only a bit, more successful. And I mean, for example, that in the case of the port, of the maritime port of Lazaro Cárdenas, which is traditionally used by organized crime in order to ship iron ore to the Middle East and to Asia, they uh, intervened in the, in the port and they replaced local authorities in the managing of the, of the port facilities as early as by 2014. And this at that time resulted, for example, in the seizure of nearly 200,000 tons of iron ore being uh, deposited in the, in the facilities of the, uh, of the Lazaro Cárdenas port. But uh, at the end of the day, I say that the, the armed forces, Mexican armed forces, do not have a national strategy to tackle, I would say, the infiltration of organized crime in the mining sector. They do have to rely on specific and punctual interventions in order to appear as an entity that has some some degree of control over the infiltration of the mining sector. But uh, the constant flow of this kind of operations being reported uh, by the media, by the Mexican media, should not uh, make us forget that Mexican armed forces, as I have said, do not have a global strategy in order to uh, stop the constant infiltration of the mining sector by organized uh, crime. As long as international mining corporations do operate in Mexico and do see organized crime as a natural uh, cost and as, a, as an actor with which they can deal in order to continue the extraction of resources that belong to the Mexican people, uh, and as long as the Mexican government doesn't uh, make uh, an official statement against these deals between the private sector and, and the organized crime, the armed forces will be like a, a small balance between both entities, the private sector and organized crime. And they will be used by federal government in order to say, you see, the Sedena intercepted nearly uh, two tons of iron ore in the port of Michoacán. They are effectively tackling organized crime. Uh, and this is only a drop in the ocean. I mean, uh, as I have said, and this is the third time, 
Mexican de Mexican government and by extension the Mexican armed forces do not have a global extension a global strategy against the infiltration of the mining sector by by organized crime. In the recent article, you wrote for Border Than Beats, you mentioned the criminal group exchanging stolen ore for chemical precursors for drug manufacturing. Can you tell us a bit more on that? Yeah, 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 of course. It happened uh, nearly a decade ago. It was uh, in 2014. At that time, in the case of Michoacán, as I have said, and the state was deeply, deeply controlled by the Knight Templars, by the Caballeros Templarios. The first uh, news about iron ore being uh, seized, being caught by, by the federal government in the hands of organized crime in Michoacán, I have traced it back to October 2010. When a guy called Ignacio López Medina, an operator, a financial operator of La Tuta, the one of the main leaders of the Caballeros Templarios at that time, he was caught in October 2010 with nearly 1,100,000 tons of iron ore, which were being sold to three Chinese companies. I cannot say what the names of these Chinese companies because I do not know them. But that that was the first time, 20, October 2010, that links between uh, Chinese business sector and, and the Michoacan-based criminal organizations, mainly the, the Knights Templars, were reported. And then uh, we have also reports of uh, this kind of people, what I mean, the Caballeros Templarios, uh, dealing in iron ore and exchanging it for chemical precursors directly with different kind of uh, Chinese. Chinese mining and industrial corporations. Since then, there have been almost no reports of iron ore being stolen from Michoacán, Colima and Jalisco mines and being exchanged for chemical precursors with Chinese businessmen or Chinese industrial corporations. But we do know that these things happen. For example, in March the 3rd, 2014, nearly a decade ago, in the port of Lázaro, Lázaro Cárdenas, in 12, in 11 different storaging areas of the, of the port, nearly 119,000 iron ore tons, plus nearly 130 bulldozers and rock crushers and different kind of heavy machinery being used for destruction of iron ore, were seized by the Mexican military. And it was all again reported that these ton, this, this nearly 119,000 iron ore tons were being shipped to China in order to be exchanged by chemical precursors to make drugs. Again, as I have said, since then, almost no report of this kind of deals have arisen from the area of uh, Michoacán. But we do know that, for example, CJNG, as I have said, does conduct uh, heavy, heavy extraction operations in, in the mine of both Minatitlán in Colima and also in the mine of El Encino in Jalisco, also operated by the international corporation uh, Ternium. In this case, in, for example, in the mine of El Encino, Jalisco, we do know that CJNG, because it has been reported by NGOs locally, the company Ternium daily obtained a production of nearly 5,600 metric tons of iron ore. And at the same time, at a daily basis, CJNG, El Castel Jalisco Nueva Generación, was obtaining nearly 2,500 tons, nearly 50% of the daily production of the El Encino mine was being stolen by the CJNG. What, the, what do these people do with, with the iron ore? Of course, they do not use it in order to produce steel, but they do use it in order to export it internationally. The prices of iron ore are not as high as the gold or silver ones. And by this, I mean that, for example, the Caballeros Templarios or the Cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generación, it is a very big 
uh, effort uh, to obtain the iron ore by by robbing it to export it internationally just in order to obtain not a not not a great deal of revenue. I would say that the only reason why these people would be obtaining iron ore in Michigan and shipping it to the to Asia and the Middle East, also India, would be in order to obtain something in exchange. And this thing can only be chemical precursors or weapons. I wouldn't say money because the prices of iron ore are not as high as other minerals. We may be good here. Do you have anything else you would like to say or promote? No, no, no. Uh, just in the, in the name of all Borderland Beat uh, reporters, I uh, would like to say thanks. It is a pleasure to spend our time here talking about an issue, the extortion of the mining sector by Mexican organized crime, that as you have already mentioned, is not very well known. Mexico's current tragedy is, better said, the reason for Mexico's current tragedy is not drugs. To say that Mexico has nearly half a million deaths because of drug trafficking in the last decade is to lie. Mexico's tragedy, and by extension, and the tragedy of places such as Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Colombia, Bolivia, Peru, and even Brazil, is not a drug trafficking. The main explanation for the current state of affairs, both in Mexico and by extension in the whole Latin America, is misery. As long as people are not satisfied and their basic needs are not satisfied by governments, as long as uh, international mining corporations and can, for example, establish in places such as Michoacán and deal in both in gold, silver and human lives, as long as this state of facts is seen as normal, we will see things going uh, as always. I would like to end this um, marvelous uh, podcast interview saying again that Canadians and by extension international mining corporations are responsible for the state of facts. The, the fact that, for example, a Guerrero a small a kid has no other option than to grab a rifle and to join the ranks of Nova Chacana be explained just simply because, for example, American or Canadian citizens like to deal or at least to buy some of the drugs being manufactured by the family of Chacana. The fact that this poor guy ends up extorting some of his neighbors is explained, in broader terms I mean, by the fact that in less than 20 kilometers from his hometown in Arcelia, there is an international mining corporation that gives his bosses nearly half a million dollars, American dollars, monthly, in order to continue operating in the, in the area. It would be my, my last reflection on about this in this topic thank you so much i appreciate it it has been a pleasure you can follow obscuro for more on twitter at the handle at lat am obscuro for support, we have set up a Patreon to help with production costs and future equipment at the link in the description. Thank you to the following Patreon members. Otomeum, Mono, Emilio Mi, Macoons, and Drift. Thank you for listening.